All right. Hello, everybody. Good to, good to see you. Whatever campus you're at right now or everybody online, I'm really, really glad wherever you are that you are here one way or another. And, uh, and today we do finish out a series in two weeks is Easter. So have that in your head. I hope you're praying about who you're going to invite. And again, when you invite, don't just say, hey, show up and good luck. But, you know, it's always better to say, hey, come sit with me. Because it's hard. I mean, that's the hardest thing in the world, it seems like, to do, right? To come into a church or situation you've never been and, uh, and, and just try to negotiate it. We work, we work hard to make that easy, but they don't know that. And so just say, hey, come sit with me and, uh, and uh, it'll be great. So today we are finishing out this series called Grown Up Faith. And when you think of grown up faith, I mean, because we all know people of great, like, you probably can think of somebody. It could be your grandmother or a friend or I don't know. But somebody of, that you think, man, they just had such solid faith, you know. And when you think about that kind of person, and we all have the opportunity to become that kind of person. That's the point of the series. But when, we, when you think about that kind of person, you know, what are some of the things you think of? And my guess is all of us, as we're describing that person, would include somebody who's just solid. Like they don't waver in their faith. Like they, they don't have faith hiccups. They don't struggle with the kind of doubts, you know, maybe that, that some of us struggle with. They just they just seem to know and they're certain and they're solid. Kind of like, you know, Buzz Lightyear, you know, where he's onward and upwards all the time and he's just always confident. And or maybe Gwen Stefani, you know, who's a founding member of. No doubt. That's right. And these are people of no doubt, right? Like they could be in that band because they're just solid, no doubt, buzz light year, onward and upwards kind of people. And therefore, for the rest of us, when if, if and that makes sense, right? But but for the rest of us, when we encounter doubts and maybe we try to, you know, submerge them or act like they're not there. But when we have doubts. It can feel like this major violation of faith. Like there's no way that faith and doubt can coexist. I mean, how could they? And so then it, it makes this crisis. Like, am I even a believer or not? I mean, I don't know. Because I, I struggle with these doubts. I don't have the kind of certainty that some people seem to have. I mean, like we talked about last week, if you were here, when we talked about uh, what does grown-up faith look like when life gets really, really hard. We looked at the book of Job in the Old Testament. And, and, and maybe you're there kind of in a, in a, such a difficult life situation that you have some real doubts and questions. Like, how could God allow this to happen to me? Like, why is this happening? I don't get it. And I, and you have big questions and big doubts. And we talked about that last week. Or like maybe you're a college student or recently, you know, out of college and, and you had a professor or two who just love poking at your faith. And, you know, and, and, and cause you to, to question some things that you never thought you'd question or you just didn't even know was a question. And it's like, wow, I, I don't know. I'd never been. And, and so you have these questions and doubts. Or maybe you're like thousands of people, maybe millions of people right now who through this pandemic are questioning kind of all of life. Who am I and what I'm about? And that includes people of faith who are kind of deconstructing their faith and reconstructing their faith and Maybe you're in that mode and you're like, oh, man, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to do with this. And maybe I'm I'm just not even a believer in the first place. 
And what I want us to understand today as we look at the Bible and we see God's perspective of faith and doubt is that it's very different than maybe what we think. Because faith and doubt actually go together, as we're going to see today. That doubt is actually part of the faith journey. This is a faith journey, not a certainty journey. It's a faith journey. And as we're going to see today, people of great faith at times also have great doubt. And the difference is what they do with those doubts. And it's not acting like they're not there. It's not submerging them. It's doing something with them that actually propels us toward God and deepens our faith even more. And so today we're going to see what do people of faith do with doubt. Now, this is actually true for certainly for those who are Jesus followers. But even if you're not a Jesus follower, everybody struggles with doubt. And everybody's a person of faith, whether you think about it that way or not. But certainly for Jesus followers, um, as people of faith, we'll encounter doubt. And what do grown-up people, grown-up faith people do with big boy doubts and big girl doubts? That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to see that illustrated um, with a, 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 a kind of a Buzz Lightyear Bible character. Now, the truth is, I had a lot to choose from because God in the Bible does not hide the doubts of believers. I mean, you think he would, right? If you're doing the Bible and you want everybody, you believe, you just kind of hide that. But the Bible doesn't do that. Um, It's very authentic about doubts of people. I could have chosen a lot of people. But the one I chose, I chose because we just came out of the Immerse series uh, where we went through the book of Luke. And he's such a prominent character there. And his name is John the Baptist. But he could have been named John the Believer because he was like the most stalwart believer ever. In fact, he would have, if there was Guinness Book of World Records 2,000 years ago, he would hold the record for the world's youngest believer in Jesus. Because when you read the story, one of the stories is when he was in the womb, he believed in Jesus. I mean, that's, that's pretty young. And like, you know, Mary was pregnant with Jesus. She goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, a little bit older. And uh, so, you know, Elizabeth is showing Mary, probably not yet. And when Mary walks into the room, John the Baptist in the womb, knowing that Jesus is there somehow, says he leaps for joy and worship in the womb. So he was an overachiever from the very beginning. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And then the Bible says that hundreds of years before that, in the book of Malachi, there was a prophecy that God would that God would send a forerunner before the Messiah. In fact, that's in Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So they were looking for that forerunner. Jesus later is going to say, yeah, John the Baptist, he's that person that was prophesied hundreds of years before he was born. And John the Baptist did indeed do that in his in his ministry as he taught and he had his own disciples and followers as a rabbi. And, you know, thousands of people came to see John as he, in a very radical way, was preparing the God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. He was preparing them for the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior of the world to come. And as he was doing that, calling the people to repentance and to be ready, when Jesus was ready to start his ministry, and Jesus comes into that area of the Jordan River, and John sees him, he points, every, he points Jesus out, and to everybody says, Behold the Lamb of God. That takes away the sins of the world. Meaning he was the one responsible to point to everybody. This is the one. Shortly after that, he baptizes Jesus. Imagine doing that. 
but he baptizes Jesus. And when he's pulling Jesus up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven, God, who shouts down, this is my beloved. Maybe God's got a deeper voice. I don't know. This is my, maybe I shouldn't try to do that. But anyway, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Shouts down from heaven. So if John had any doubts, which I don't think he did at that time, he wouldn't have any doubts after that. Like God is saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So when you think about a solid Buzz Lightyear, no doubt kind of believer, John the Baptist was the guy. He's a person of no doubt until he had some major doubts. And again, the Bible doesn't hide it. We have the story. It's an incredible little story in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. And here's the story. When John, who was in prison, remember that, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Jesus, he sent his disciples, because he was a rabbi with disciples, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? The one who's responsible to point out, yes, this is the one, is now asking, are you the one who is to come? Or should we keep looking? Should we expect someone else? I mean, that's a vulnerable moment in the life of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one that point. He's serious doubts. I'm not sure Jesus is the one. And why would he have those doubts? Well, we don't know everything that was in his head, but we do know we can piece together a number of things. For one, John is in prison. He was in prison, this dungeon, uh, just right by the Dead Sea in this oppressively hot dungeon. And he's in this and he's not going to get out. He's going to be beheaded eventually. But he's in this dungeon placed there by a a ruler, Herod Antipas, who was the uh, area of that region for Rome and king of the Jews. And he spoke out against some stuff um, and Herod puts him in prison And that is not what John would have expected to be happening at this point in Jesus's job as Messiah, as the promise went from God. Because what John believed was what most people believe is that when the Messiah came, he would throw off the Roman Empire. He would get rid of evil people like Herod Antipas, that somebody like John, the cousin of Jesus and the forerunner, wouldn't be in prison in a dungeon He would be reigning with Jesus at the table there, reigning the whole world and and everything would and and the whole nation would be honoring Jesus. But that's not happening. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And so for and, and they just didn't understand Jesus's as Messiah when he came the first time, what his mission was. We know looking back, if you know the New Testament, he died on the cross for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, defeated death. One day he will return and all those things they were looking for will happen. But that is going to come later when he returns. But that wasn't happening then. And it was disillusioning. It's like, you're not acting like the Messiah. Not only that, we also know from just a couple chapters earlier that some of John's disciples have a problem with Jesus, probably reflecting John's view, too, because he's not acting like the Messiah in some other ways, too, because and here's the two things that kind of they ask him about that don't make sense to them. It's like, hey, how come you and your disciples don't fast, which means refrain from eating for a period of time for spiritual purposes? Why don't you how come you guys don't fast like we do? That was the first problem, man. Jesus says, well, because this is not a time for fasting. This is a time for feasting because I'm here. It's time to celebrate. 
That's what, that, that's what we're in now. And then they had a problem with him because he hung out with all the wrong people. He hung out with sinners. Of course, we're all sinners, but that's not the way they saw it. That was a problem that Jesus had to poke into. But he hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And you know what? He didn't bring judgment. He didn't rain down judgment on them. And they thought, man, the Messiah would bring judgment on sinners. And, and here he is just hanging out and accepting them like it's no big deal. And, we, and they didn't get it. Like, how could he do that? How could he just be a friend of sinners? The Pharisees had that problem. John's disciples had that problem. And it just didn't make sense to them. And Jesus is going to model and, you know, kind of let them know, hey, I, I'm here for them. Like, I'm here for, we're all, everybody's a sinner. I'm here for the sick people, not the well people. And guess what? Everybody's sick. And everybody has the same sickness, and that is sin. And the way Jesus operated was not judgment. He didn't come in judgment. He came to save. Right? To, to people to escape judgment. It's a time of not judgment, but salvation. And therefore, he accepted people as is. And in context of that grace and relationship with him is where transformation happens. And so they're mad because he seems soft on sin. He wasn't soft on sin. He gave a lot to, you know, defeat sin. But he accepts people as is because people can't change their life anyway. It's not change your life and then you can be accepted. That's not grace. It's, hey, come as you are. And in context of relationship with Jesus, he begins to change us and point us to righteousness and a better way of life. And by the way, that's always hard for religious people. And you'll, you'll hear people say that. You probably do. Even about like a church like this where we talk about come as you are and we're trying to reflect the grace and the gospel and the good news and what Jesus is doing. And they'll say, yeah, you know, Chase Oak's soft on sin. Somebody was upset about that this week. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. We're talking. Soft on, and, I, and it's not that Chase Oaks is soft on sin. We're just really big on grace. Because that's the age we're in. That's what Jesus came to bring. It's, it's, it, it, we accept people as is because people, it's not, hey, here's the bar and clean up your life first and then we'll accept you and you can come here. That's not what Jesus modeled, and that's not what he calls us to do. What he calls us to do is accept people as is, because we're all just messes anyway. And then as we come to know Jesus, he does begin to change us from the inside out, and we begin to grow. And, you know, so if, if when people say, hey, you know, soft on sin, just say, no, we're big on grace. Or another thing you can say is, hey, I hear you're soft, you know, it seems like your church soft on sin. Another thing you can say is, oh, thank you. Because we're not soft on sin, but that's exactly what they accuse Jesus of being. And it's a big compliment when you accuse me of doing something that people accuse him. So thanks. Maybe that's not the best. I don't know. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm starting to get way down a trail. I didn't mean to go down, but just therapeutic for me. So John is not get, putting, putting all that together, right? And so he's, he's like, I don't think you're the one, or I don't know. And so what he does is he sends, as we read, some of his people to go to talk to Jesus and ask him the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, this was a public thing. Jesus was with a crowd of people. So when, you know, when the people from everybody knew John the Baptist was, they knew these were disciples from John the Baptist. They knew the question came from John the Baptist. So when the forerunner, when the prophet, this prophet, when John the Baptist comes and says, hey, I'm not so sure anymore. Are you the one or should we keep looking? That's a big deal. That's like scandal kind of stuff. Like this is a public thing. The one, like, how could this be happening? And, and how is Jesus going to respond? 
And he might think that Jesus would shame him. Just say, oh, you know, John, he's a goober. We all know that. Or go tell John he's fired. He can't be the prophet anymore. He can't be the forerunner. People like can't have doubts and be on the t- No way. He's out. It's not what he does. Instead, here's what he does. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. All those things were prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do. In addition to that other stuff John was looking for. But this is what Jesus was doing in his first coming. So he just answers the question. Just, just hang out. Tell him what you see. And then he says, and remember this sentence because we'll come back to it. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now again, Jesus could have slammed John. Could have shamed him. Believers don't doubt. Obviously he's out. In a, in a lot of religious contexts, a lot of churches, whatever, people like that get voted off the island or get fired if they're a leader. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't not only just answers the question, look at what he does next. He honors him. Verse seven, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John, who's just asked the big doubt question. And here's how Jesus, what he says about him. What did you go out into the wilderness where John ministered? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind, meaning a wishy-washy person? Answer is no. He's not wishy-washy. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Some religious big shot? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, a prophet is what? A spokesman from God. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written in the Old Testament. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And catch this. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, there's no way to get a better endorsement than that. I mean, Jesus, God, the creator of everything, is saying, you know, of all the humans ever born, he's the goat. You know, Tom Brady, he's the football goat, greatest of all time, right? Michael Jordan, basketball goat, greatest of all time. Or maybe LeBron, you, you know, some people say, but I think Michael Jordan. Anyway, who knows? But, um, but as human beings go, Jesus is saying he's the goat. He's the greatest human being of all time. Now, that's an endorsement. Imagine being able to have that. You know, that reference on your resume. I'd be like, yeah, some of my job stuff is tricky, but God says, just so you know, that I'm the greatest person that's ever been born. So I got that going for me. You know, you just may want to think about it, you know. Um, Pretty crazy, right? It tells us a lot about God and his view of faith and his view of doubt. Because he believes what he's saying. That John, as a person of great faith, is at the time experiencing significant doubt. And that's going to happen. Because it's a faith journey. And that's why when Jesus says, it's so instructive, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That's a really important statement. Because John has doubts, but he doesn't stumble. And here's what I mean by that. So, stumble... Actually, the Greek word, you know, New Testament written in Greek is scandalizo. Sounds like an English word, right? Scandal or scandalize. 
Blessed is anyone who's not scandalized because of me. It's where we get that word from. But the word was actually used in a couple of ways. One is as like a stumbling block. Like you're, um, like I, I'm trying to learn how to mountain bike and I'm really terrible, but my boys do it. So I'm trying to learn how to do it. And I've already gone over the handlebars once and I, and I do the easiest stuff. But at this particular trail I go to, they put the people have put these like things in the trail, like trees that they've downed on purpose and blocks and stuff. And for me, a stumbling like, right, because I, I can't get, you know, they, people know how to hop over them and do all this. I do not. And I know because I tried and it did not work. So he's saying, you know, blessed are those who don't get stuck because of me. Another way it was used is like animals in a trap. You know, like when you trap animals and stuff and you get stuck. It's just saying, blessed is the person who, when they have questions and when they have doubts, they don't get stuck. Instead, what do they do? What John did. What did John do? He brought his doubts to Jesus. He didn't allow his doubts to lead him away from God. He brought his doubts to God. And that's what people who have grown up faith do. People who have grown up faith don't deny their doubts. That's weak faith. People who have grown up faith own it. Hey, this, I'm feeling it. I have this question. I don't know what to do. And so they go to God. And God can more than handle that. We talked about that last week. And when we talked about difficult times. People of great faith at times have doubt. In fact, think of it this way. Um, and, and I owe this to a guy named Alistair McGrath, who's a professor at Oxford, uh, that when I was in college and had some questions, read a book that he wrote on doubt. A really good book, by the way. He's got several of them. But one of the things he said in there was this. Think of it this way. You know, the only people who can doubt are people who are belief. Only believers can doubt. Because that's what doubt is. You're doubting what you believe. And so doubt is not a sign of unbelief. Doubt is actually a sign of belief. You're questioning what you believe. You're doubting what you believe. Because as human beings, we don't know everything. There's a lot we don't know. And that's why we refer to this as a faith journey, not a certainty journey. One day it will be a certainty journey when we get to heaven. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. He says, for now, we see only a reflection is in a mirror. Now, mirrors 2000 years ago were really cruddy. I mean, now we think, oh, that's a pretty good reflection. Back then, everybody was like, oh, that's terrible, right? You could kind of see yourself, but not really. For now, we see only a reflection is in a mirror. There's so much we don't know. It's just smoky and unclear. All that's going on in the world. And I mean, like, man, what's going on? Then we shall see face to face. Just like you look at a person face to face. Well, you see them clearly, right? It's not a credit mirror. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Meaning when we get to heaven, we will know fully. And you know what will happen the, the second you get to heaven? You know what will happen? Your faith will be destroyed. And the reason your faith will be destroyed is it won't be about faith anymore. Knowledge will destroy faith. You'll be certain. Certainty will destroy faith. You will we'll know things that we have no way of knowing right now. And therefore, in the meantime, we're on this faith journey. And, and actually faith, I mean, doubt for a believer who falls forward toward God. Actually, when, when we do what John did and we do what lots of believers did in the Bible, it actually propels us in our relationship with God. Let me give one example of that. So, you know, Mother Teresa, some of you are like, yeah, I've kind of heard of that. Some not, you know, because she died like 
I thought she died like 10 years ago. Just time goes like, it was like 20 something years ago she died. But, you know, people talk about like big belief, like Bill, we don't have one right now, but like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. Like if you're going to point to somebody like a John the Baptist, a solid believer, I mean, those are the people that you'd be like, oh yeah, see that. Well, so she dies, like I think in 1997 is when she died. And about 10 years later, they found all these letters of hers and it got published. Time magazine was a cover story. It was this big deal. And a bunch of um, people with an atheist agenda uh, made a big deal about it, just saying, hey, look at her letters, because everybody thinks Mother Teresa is this great believer, this great Christian. But look, she wasn't even a believer. She wasn't even a Christian. She was an atheist, too. And here's what they pointed to. Here's some of the letters. Uh, This one is, uh, um, she wrote a letter to Jesus. It's not dated, but she wrote this letter to Jesus. It's just part of her relationship with God. Get her thoughts out. And here's what she says in that letter to Jesus. Where is my faith? Even deep down right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain? I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd in my heart. And make me suffer untold agony. Another letter. This one written to a friend of hers. A pastor. Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me. The silence and emptiness is so great. That I look and do not see. Listen and do not hear. Later in that same letter. uh, She says such deep longing for God. And repulsed. Empty. No faith. No love, no zeal. Saving souls holds no attraction. Heaven means nothing. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. And these people from an atheistic perspective are like, see, do you not even believe? Because they don't understand what it means to be a believer. Now, the truth is, atheists are people of faith, too. Like they, they can't prove that there's no right. That's a faith commitment. But they just don't understand the nature of faith and belief. Here is a person struggling with doubt. And what does she do? She's going to God with her doubt. And I believe God answered her in that doubt. And that's part of the reason she came a person of even stronger faith. Because that's what happens to believers who doubt and take that doubt to God and trust him. Knowing we're not going to know the answers. Not everything's going to be figured out. But I'm going to be honest with my questions and doubts. And I'm going to choose to worship him as a doubter and be a doubting worshiper. And God honors that. And so as we said before, you know, maybe, you know, you're a, maybe you're a person right now who's just, you're going through stuff and you have these really big questions and because like, how could God allow this and why is this happening? And like we talked about last week, you don't have to hide your disappointment with God. Just be honest with him. He can handle that. And and just say, God, I don't get it. I'm going to choose to keep following him, choose to trust you, but this that makes sense. Because we don't, there's just so much we don't know. Or like the college student thing we talked about, maybe you're in that mode. You're like, hey, this person, you know, really pokes them. I never thought about that. And you, know, you may be freaking out. Maybe I'm not a believer, you know. And, you know, you have to freak out. For one thing, whatever, whatever was said by that professor is not new. Uh, there's, it's not like they came up with something original. There's, People that have thought about that, thought about that deeply. There are ways to think about that. There's people you can talk to, stuff you can read. But the truth is, even their deal, you, you could also poke holes in their thing, right? Because 
It's all a faith thing. As an atheist, that's a, that takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. And it's easy to poke holes into that. But you have to freak out. Just say, okay, uh, there's probably a way to think about that. I don't know. And, uh, or maybe, you know, that reconstructing faith thing a lot of people are doing. And maybe you're in the middle of that deconstructing and reconstructing faith, asking big questions. And, and people act like that's a new thing in America. You know, it's like we came up with that. It's not new. Christians have been doing that from the beginning of Christianity. At times, it's just part of maturing in faith. Sometimes you ask big questions that you don't know the answer to. And, and if you journey through those right, it will make you come out way stronger than you ever started. And you just don't have to be afraid of it. And we also need to create environments where we can, it's, it's okay to have those questions. In fact, in, in the book of Jude, um, there's this cool little verse, Jude 122. And this is God talking, right, through Jude. But, and he, he's talking to this, a church and he says, church, be merciful to those who doubt. Go easy on those who doubt. You know, last week, if you were here, uh, they sang at the campuses the Adele song, Go Easy on Me. You know, go easy on me, baby. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why didn't he sing it? That would have been awesome. He's so good. I never knew. And I know. I should do. I should sing. But, but the truth is, I can't do everything, right? I mean, I've got I to gotta leave room for other people to... They're not as good, but I mean, you know, let them do it too. But, but when you uh, um, go easy, what, what he's saying is, hey, just go easy on people who doubt. And think about how many times that doesn't happen in religious environments. It's like you jump all over people and just say, don't jump. On, just go easy on people. Of course, they doubt. Life's hard. We're looking in a cruddy mirror and, we, and it's smoky and unclear. And one day it'll be clear. Right now it's not. And so just be merciful to those who doubt. Give them space. Encourage them. I've had people tell me at times where I've struggled to have faith, you know, for something. Just say, hey, look, you don't have to have faith right now. I'll have faith for you. I'll pray for you. That's what we do. That's, that's, that's the deal. Like, this is a team sport for that reason. I think one of the reasons John was really struggling, too, is he was isolated in prison. And it's really hard to stay resolute if you're isolated. And right now we've got a lot of isolated people coming out of a pandemic. And the fact that you're here at a location or you're watching online, um, just the fact that you're here, I think is a really big deal, bigger than we think, because it reinforces, oh yeah, okay, all these people, we're, okay, all right, we can do this. It's part of the way God designed it. So what Jesus said, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed, who don't get stuck on account of Jesus, but what I would add, but allow those doubts to draw them to him. That's what I want us to do right now. Um, you may be, you know, there may be people that you know that right now are in a period of significant doubt. We're going to pray for them, right? And just say, God, help me be helpful. But for some of you, you're right there right now. That's okay. Let's take him to Jesus because that's what it means to have doubts and not get stuck. We have doubts and we just allow it to propel us to God and say, God, you're bigger than I can understand. There's a lot of things I don't get. I'm going to choose to trust you, but I don't like this and I don't understand this. And I've got a lot of questions about this. And I just need you to help me think. I just need you to help me work through it. Let's bow our heads together.
Um, Father, I, I thank you for your mercy for strugglers like me, like all of us. And there are times, as you know, we're going to doubt because there's just so much we don't know. And I thank you that you get it. You have patience for it. You even encourage it. And so, Father, like John, would you help us to, in our struggles and our doubts, not fall away from you, but fall to you, fall toward you in trust. And I pray that right now, as people are doing that, that you would just meet them right where they are, that they would sense your presence. And, and help us to surround each other, to encourage each other as we all walk through times that we're, we're all going to have times of struggle. We thank you that church can be a place that that, that can happen. And in Jesus' name, we just thank you for being a God who understands what it's like to be us. In Jesus' name, amen.